Hello. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm an entrepreneur, small business owner, improv artist, mental health surviving, wannabe actor. And as always, I'm very, very neurotic. But I'm also a TV host and your host for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production. This is why we do the podcast, dweebsglobal.org. You can go for free mentorship help, anything from resume writing to mental health, which is something we will cover today. But please, dweebsglobal.org. That's why we do this. So I'm here today with Joanne and Jane, better known as the Therapy Twins. They have been psychiatric nurse practitioners for over 20 years. They studied at Columbia University and are published in peer-reviewed journals in the U.S. and England. They also very much understand on a personal level depression, anxiety, and all the fun mental health issues a lot of us suffer. And since 2020, they have taken much of what they've learned over the years, left their day jobs, and figured out a way to add humor to this delicate subject with uh, humorous writings, comedy tours, and more. So please welcome Joanne and Jane. Thank you. Thank you. So we were just talking before we went live about stigmatism no about the stigma of mental health issues <laughs> um and maybe uh, i know they're changing over the years but they're definitely still there and um, oh I yes because <laughs> you know hundreds of years ago i think um don't quote me on the dates of course but we watched this fabulous movie where if you had a mental illness or even a hint of it you had to get locked up and of course it looked like a castle because it was over in europe but you were locked there for the rest of, in there for the rest of your life. Oh, so you wouldn't reproduce. So I think that things have changed a little bit. Was but the, the stigma is really there. It still is. You know, people pretend that it's okay, and then they just gossip behind your back, which is okay. Yeah, that's very that. That's very true. I never even really thought. Of, you know, I didn't even think about that. But that's 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 incredibly true. Um, One but, of the reasons I think that I like to, you know, just come right out and say what's wrong with me. I mean, and I welcome other people to, you know, add to that things I don't know. And one of the reasons I like to do that is because once you've said it yourself, gossiping behind you isn't as much fun. The, you know, the gossip hers and gossipies, you know, it's not as much fun when, oh, she already said that. You know, oh, oh, she or she admitted she had over 50 partners, whereas the rest of us are trying to say, I mean, I haven't had 50, but give me enough time as a hot chick, I could have. But, you know, they say they joke that we cut our numbers down. We minimize what's wrong with us. And, and why? You know, what somebody once said to me, you know, Jane, when people say, hi, how are you? They really don't want to hear you. <laughs> and that was at work. And I was a psych nurse, you know, I was like, I know, but I kind of like to say it. <laughs> do you think do you think it takes a level of self-awareness for people to sometimes admit it i, I always kind of questioned what self-awareness was too like are people in denial when they're not self-aware or are they knowingly hiding things or you know people can only see what they're ready yeah. or willing to see at that moment um you know, let me let me put it on the funnier note. Um, oh, growing God. up as an identical twin, you yeah. get a label. Who's the smart one? Who's the fat one? Who's the calm one? All those kinds of things. And Joan was born a comedian. So she's a natural. Though born... no one would know that right now. I'm feeling well, she's, she's very really not. Well, she'll dull. get funny. Give her a second. So really anyway, dull. I was in my late 30s. And I had a little verbal argument with someone who was trying to tell me how funny I was. And I was like, you've got this all wrong. I am not funny at all. Joan is the funny one. 
So I think that's called just a dysfunctional so, family or relationship. So I had to willingly open my eyes and kind of tilt my head like, you know, maybe I am. Maybe I have that a uh, little bit of a dry sense of humor or something sarcastic sense. But, you know, I opened my eyes and, you know, I really do believe I have a little bit of humor. Normally I'm the straight man for her funny. But I think your question was, was um, <laughs> do, are people in denial maybe? Sure we are. Sure, we are, and we can't see past our nose. So, what's interesting and unfortunate in psychiatry is if you spot that stuff, you have it. You know, in AA, they say you spot it, you got it. If you say that in an argument, there'd be things flying like baseball bats and acid and shit because it's really hard to look at yourself, yes. look at the man in the mirror. It's really hard. And denial is not always a bad thing. Denial is protecting stuff. yourself from, um, you know, being on I-95 or crossing the Q Bridge into New Haven to East Haven and Madison, that area. Uh, you I know, at rush hour, it's yeah. terrible. It's I think it's how my mother survived uh, her kids' childhoods, my childhood. <laughs> Is, is by being in denial of the things I was doing. And, and uh, I've seen other parents do it too. I, I had a best friend that got in trouble all the time, but according to his mom, he was the most perfect boy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, denial is a great thing, but it's for, for yourself. I also just see people that I, I, I'm like, how are you so not self-aware? And then I look at myself and I'm like, I believe I'm really self-aware, but I could totally be wrong about that. Um, well, you know, one way you can check on that is ask people closest to you, like your siblings, you know, a parent, a best friend. And you can say, you know, oh, because I used to say to my son um, as he was growing up, I'd say, hey, sweetie, uh, could you critique me as a parent? Because I want, you know, I was thinking I was a good parent. And then he would say, oh, and I love the time where he said, you know, I'm sure there's something but I can't think of it right now. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I am the best parent. And then he got a little older and he did point a, a couple of things out to me. And, you know, I argued, of course. Uh, well, then I caught myself. One of the best times was when he says, you know, mom, you can't take a joke. And she couldn't. And I couldn't. And I had to look at that. I didn't have to. I chose to look at that. That's the other thing. People can choose to be self-aware or they can choose not. Sometimes it's great you're in a fa your own fantasy world. That can work out for you, too. Remember, if, we have an older, if we have an older sister and we just call her Dorothy, she played Dorothy as a child in the neighborhood play, and she has continued her life as no matter what it was, it was still half full and wonderful. And I just was so negative compared to her. And it took me, you know, physical illnesses and everyone <laughs> hating me. Everyone, no one wanted to be around me. And then that's, I that's finally true. got a little bit of help, just a little well, bit. You know, I, I did a, I forgot what, I was in some coaching group and we did a project where we sent 10 of our friends and family a message just being like, hey, tell us something about ourselves that, you know, might not be positive. And most of the people just wanted to say something positive. It's like one real little thing negative and the rest positive. And it was like, oh, I'm super self-aware. I know this all about myself. But I had one friend who was incredibly honest and was telling me how I am. I complain about first world problems too much is essentially what he said in a much more delicate and, and thought out way. But um, it was really fascinating just to read his and I took so much from it and it wasn't offending. And it was so, it was so neat to see somebody say something about me that I wasn't as self-aware about. 
and I thought it was so super helpful. Yeah, I think all humans are naturally scientists, and we naturally experiment with food, with the way we talk to people and stuff. And so in, in that science is observation. And that's why I think that our friends and family, they're not that far off sometimes when they critique us because they've been observing us for a long time. If you change though, as an adult, sometimes the holidays are wonderful because all it is is now, you, if you don't revert back to childhood, there's something wrong with you. I got <laughs> called a lot of names this, this uh, Thanksgiving. It was wonderful. <laughs> so, which made me realize, no, I did grow from that. That was pretty ugly. Well, Joan, you said you were a very negative person for so long. And I know so many of us fall into that trap. And I, I know I do. I feel like at home, I can do that way with my family. And, you know, people fall into the traps. I don't know if sometimes it's like your entire life, but it's like almost like the places you are. Like, I'm, I'm a negative person there constantly. Like, how... Negative, and a lot of people call themselves realists, and, you know, I wouldn't lie to myself, oh, because I'm, I would do way other things, you know, I would steal, and, you know, I don't do that anymore, I was a terrible, ugh. anyway, I was very negative, where people would say, you know, can't you even start with um, something to do with love, I didn't even like the word, the word love repulsed me, I wouldn't go in a church, I thought I would self-ignite, I just, if a man held the door for me, I was like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, oh, it's horrible. I was Jane Fonda wrapped up with, um, who's angry? The devil. I was just like with the devil. In fact, I gave the devil a chance too, because I don't even believe in one God. I'm like, who the heck is that? And Jesus is the only, the son and he died for us. And see, I'm, I'll get so negative. I'm with Bill Burr on that. The He's the boss's son. Like, wow, who the heck wants to meet that? Anyway, I do. a patient said to me once when I was still working, Joan, have you read the Tibetan book of the dead? And I thought to myself, does he, do I look like I read? Like you know, my ADD, I normally let somebody else read and then tell me about it. But I did have to read for school. Anyway, the Tibetan book of the dead shows that if you're that negative and you don't accept love, I think they give you five chances. Your soul, if you believe this, goes into an animal and not your cat or dog, domestic. I mean, outside. And it was called brute life. It's horrible. Anyway, I had to change after that because I don't want to be a bunny just taking it for the team and stuff, you know, so. So what does that mean to, what does that mean to accept love? Because it's, it's easy, it's, it's, it still feels abstract to me. Like it still feels. Yeah, it, I think you, um, you have to, be really, you have to, um, I want to change the word love. And I did when I was younger, if a guy wanted to hang or, you know, get laid or something, um, I, they would have to tell me that they were fond of me, but they had to say overwhelmingly fond because there was a dictionary that said that was one of the definitions of the word love. You see how difficult it was living with me. I mean, I, I just should be by myself, but I'm changing. But I still want to I still want to know how you got out of the negativity because I, I don't hear negativity now from you. I hear, you know, it's funny how oh, negative how? I was. Give, how... give it a few more minutes. No, how? <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. I had a couple of breast cancer scares and nobody liked me. My the two most important people were my twin sister and my ex-husband. But I have another sister. She would say she is also the most important. They didn't like me anymore. So for fear of being all alone, I had to open up a book and start looking at it. And it was a self-help book called You Can Heal Your Life. 
And I did. I really, it took me a, like 14 years before I started seeing the results of the work. That's how negative I was. Jane, it probably took have, her a couple of I days. Have a, I have a little bit of a, diff, a, a story, I mm. guess I should say, because remember with twins, if one is one thing, the other one, they, it's labeled the opposite. So because she was so angry, a lot of people thought that I was this loving, kind person. And don't get me wrong, I appreciated this rumor going on around about me. You know, I have a kid and everything. I've had pets. I've been married before. I obviously, well, anyway. So deep down, I'm thinking, hmm, isn't this interesting? Because I hate everything and everyone including myself, but I did not, and then I had a son, okay, so then I get pregnant, I, it's, I don't even want to be pregnant, but I decide I'm going to have the baby, and I'm grateful that prior to this, I had a boyfriend that I had an, oh, a very nice argument, not physical, but verbal, really badly, though, because he told me that for your information, Jane, love is a choice. And at that time in my life, I'm like, I don't know who the heck you think you are, but that's not true. So then I remembered those words when I deliver this, this human, and I am so out of it. I, it was, I was, I feel like I was in shock. And, you know, I was supposed to have a cesarean and the Rinky Dink Hospital didn't set the room up in time, whatever. So it wasn't the best labor and delivery, but so I tried to fake it till I made it in terms of pretending, you know, I'm a nurse. I, I, I took, you know, psych in I took class, right? <laughs> so I know that sometimes parenting is acting. And so I was pretend, I knew that that was important for a baby to bond. I did all this stuff, skin to skin contact, et cetera. And the funny thing is, is after I don't know how long, I actually fell in love with my child. And that was the, one of the biggest turning points for me in my life because falling in love with Adam, um, which is hilarious because one of my nieces who does not have children um, was just talking with Joan who does not have children and I was there and they were talking about what's wrong with mothers of sons. <laughs> and Megan coined it and said, I think that every mother falls in love with her son. It's true. It's true if you allow it. And so it doesn't have to be a sick, weird, twisted thing, although it obviously is, right? But anyway, then I realized I had the capacity for love. And what I realized was I never allowed anyone to love me. They tried to, but I had that nice brick wall around me. And I will always freely admit that I never liked myself, hated myself. I would rather have been Joan than, or Joanne rather than Jane, <laughs> anyone. So, um... That's how I accepted love, and I'm, I've been practicing ever since. I'm very grateful that both parents, before they passed away, I truly loved them, and I think they felt it. Yeah. I think they did. My mom, our mom, my mom and I had a little discussion about 24 hours before she took her last breath, and it was something like, Ma, I thought you didn't like me, and she said, no, 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 I thought you didn't like me. And it was a beautiful, painful, sad, but very glorious moment now. Thank you. That's how I accepted love. <laughs> gotcha. 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 Um, yeah, I can, I can relate to a lot of that. So one, a couple times Joan had a client that wasn't bonding with her baby. And Joan, I don't know what Joan said, but it was like, Jane, come on over here. And the question was usually that I would have to admit that, no, I did not fall in love with this 
little ball, eight pounds, 13 ounces, 23 and a half inches long, human, right away. So I did pressure in life to do it. Everything has to be done the way these few people, whoever they are, the way they think it is. And, you know, constantly people would say, but you can't do it that way. You can't do this. You can't do that. Watch me. I just fucking did it. Like, keep telling me I can't. Did it. So when I was going to get married, I didn't want to be married. But, you know, we were born in 1960 and the neighbors were talking. You can't go on vacation with a man because, you know, you might have been having sex and that's a sin. So unless Jesus's mother was able. Oh, that's right. That's the whole story. She didn't have sex. Right. That's my, my, my problem with the Bible. Anyway, um, I didn't even tell anybody I got married. I just said, let's just get married. We were going to Italy for some reason. Nope, France for a wedding. What a bore. And uh, I didn't change my name. I didn't get the same checking account. Everything was the same. I didn't sleep in his room. And what, what's, the, I, what's the point? The point is, is everybody puts oh, yeah. stigma upon you if you don't do it. Somebody told me at a party, a picnic, she just met me that day. And she says, oh, you're not in love with your husband. So you think a prepositional phrase, which I think in starts a prep, I'm not sure, it might start it. So you're just going to change it. You love your dog, but you're in love with your husband. Well, I find, I want to punch people like that. I think a boxing glove should come out to wake them up. You know, there's plenty of different, yeah, there's, the anger, there's oh, the anger starting. There's a whole world out there. You know, in India, the women had rubies around their neck. For engagement and the nurse I was working with she said Jesus Christ I got to get a fucking diamond because she was so sick of people saying but you don't have an engagement like unbelievable I said yes to the dress you couldn't put a diamond on me well I would sell it but you could give me one I would sell it but yeah whatever well, it's, so it, it's, again that's the stigma if you're doing it differently therefore there's something wrong with you Right. Well, just it's not not ever, it's not even just about love. I mean, we we homeschool our kids, and I can feel a stigma against that. And I know in my heart that it's the right thing to be doing with my kids because that's what they need. Um, but it's it's you know it's similar in the aspect that there's a stigma against it, and there's definitely people judging it. And you you hear it, you hear the mutters, the mumblings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as humans, we can't help but but judge because we have opinions on just about everything, and we're tribal. Especially, I think here in America best we're the greatest you know so we grow up we're the best the greatest you know i used to wonder how does someone from you know <laughs> zimbabwe grow you know do they think they're the best the greatest no we're all john wayne's over here so there's a couple of flaws that we have where you know i know for me it was a pet named willie and my son adam that helped me get completely on my road to wellness and and i'm one of the things Joan and I were very upset about, because being therapists ourselves, former therapists, we heard people, including ourselves every once in a while, judging. Yes, the, pe the other people, the people sitting in the chair, the people that were behind the, the glass in the locked psychiatric unit. Um, and so I don't know if people know that. There's stigma everywhere. And the only way to break it is to be that person you're looking at in the mirror. Right. So I, I know you talked to me earlier before this that you were going to be on a con, on, on a podcast earlier today, uh, a God podcast, and you ended up not being on it. I I don't like to get too much into religion, but I I feel often when it gets into religion, I feel even more judged in a lot of ways, especially with subjects that we're talking about right now, which 
especially because every religion thinks their people are the like the ones, the chosen ones. Like one of my friends died of uh, AIDS and he was unconscious. And as people were walking to say goodbye, several of my coworkers were making sure there he is unconscious. You didn't accept Jesus. Make sure otherwise you're going to hell. It's like, wow, what the what the heck is going on here? So, yeah, it was a big turnoff when I was younger. Right. Kind of goes into something else you were saying earlier, where depending on where you're born in the world, you're born into different religions. Oh, right. Born into one religion, you're born into the wrong one. I used to ask our mother that when I was really young, <laughs> and she couldn't answer that. She would just she say, would say oh, stop get, talking. get away from me, or you know, go outside. <laughs> go outside is a big one. Figure that out out there. I know social media has a large effect on mental health. How have you tried? I know you're also big on being on social media. So how have you tried to shape that? Well, we tr- actually, uh, we're on social media, but can you believe it? We're Leos, and we we literally scramble for a few dollars here and there for somebody else to post <laughs> for us because that's how difficult well, we're it older. is. Because people might look at us and go, wow, look at them. They're just doing so well, and then they post. You know, we pay this beautiful, positive, young yes. female that's really yeah. pretty. Just she, wonderful points of view. She does it. So we don't even tell her what to post. Either. She just, <laughs> okay. just goes with it. But what um, what I'll say is we're on social media to hopefully, um, the Surgeon General said it's easy for people to come out with their own mental illness who are wealthy. And they have a financial trampoline. But if the, if the people within the profession, which is hilarious, very few have come out with their own mental illness, until we come out with our own mental illness, people will, our patients are always going to feel judged. You know, somebody said to me, depression is the worst. I can't even get out of bed. And that's the first thing people say, get out of bed, shower. How about I can't get out of the bed? Give me one more thing to do. And so you have to start with baby steps. But anyway, we came out, people said, oh, you were brave and still no one will come out. We know who has mental illness within the profession. They told us, but no one will ever admit it. To a client, and I feel like air your laundry, but what? I feel like that should have been handed to me when I first met each of my therapists. I've seen quite a few, but it should have been like a resume of their mental health problems, because then I would have felt so much more comfortable off the bat, like not being judged. And and, and, you know, it's the whole society. It's not just western medicine or western psychiatry or this country's psychiatry. It's when you look at a society, and if they view mental illness, let's call it depression, as a weakness, then we're doomed. So one of the things we try to do is, is show that it's none of these things are a weakness. This is, these are just experiences. And, you know, what is this thing called life if it isn't experiences and um, interacting with other humans and animals and the air and the trees? Because years ago, a heart attack was considered, oh, my God, he is a weak individual. He had a heart attack. Oh, God, can he even work here with the rest of us? I was pretty shocked to see that. It was Mad Men or something. Oh, yeah. back in I was really shocked. They were really looking at him. It was a big weakness. He was now, he couldn't even do this stock market job. Isn't that funny? Now people who have diabetes, which type 2 is reversible, please, we know that. They almost orgasm over telling you. 
when you ask about their medical, oh, I have diabetes. Are you on any meds? No, no, no. Are you on any meds? Oh, a blood pressure pill. That's a metafuckingcation. One of the biggest that causes sexual dysfunction. Yet all the dudes are coming in saying, you gave me a psychment that causes sexual dysfunction. Nope, your dick's working with the medicine I gave. Think about the other fucking meds that you're on. And people forget that. So how unmanly is that? Anyway, so the society has to change their opinion, their judgment, their point of view on mental illness because it's just a convenient excuse to keep the mentally ill down. I saw a um, a, um, PhD, a a doctor, um, speak on cognitive behavioral therapy, and he was talking about anxiety and stage fright and all of that. And then he kind of said, but look at what we do when we're kids, and obviously grown-ups do this too, is we want to make up situations that are scary, whether it's a scary uh, <laughs> ride at the amusement park. And, you know, we have a friend who loves horror flicks, and what that what he loves is that <laughs> thing that frightens you so much. This, it's the same chest pain, the same tremulousness, the same dry mouth that you get when you're in complete fear with the bad guy, you know, with the gun. Or bad woman. Or bad woman with the gun. And so he I have to correct. He was <laughs> trying to compare that is like change your point of view. And we knew also, and that guy's a musician too, but the, we knew another musician who I asked if he had stage fright. And he said, Oh God, yeah, I love it. And I looked at him like, you know, what? And what he loved was he really felt alive. Different perspective. Um, I kind of understand the musician because I go through, you know, I do performance performances now and the anxiety used to kill me. I would sweat and have out-of-body experiences and it would just be a nightmare. But now there is like a thrill to the anxiety and I look forward to it. I also fear it, but I do look forward to it. It's uh, before going on stage and being on stage and feeling the anxiety makes it that much more exciting and gets the heart racing. And There's a quote that says, uh, everything you ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And it really is, you know, that fear, fear of relationships, fear of commitment, fear of being hurt, fear of all that stuff. It will keep you from living. Yes, it really will. And who cares if you're hurt or if you fail? You know how many, if you fail, do you know how good you get at it? Just like criminals, they get better and better at their job. And, you know, you can perfect it, too. The failing is wonderful. Like, poor young people, they don't realize, I didn't even finish my bachelor's degree until I was 35. People are like, oh, how did you get a master's? Well, Jane got one, and she was making more money, was buying fantastic shoes, so I went and followed that. And then just to prove people wrong, because like she said, she was the smart one, so I was considered I very ignorant. That. She didn't say that. Notice she said no, that. No, you said it. That other other people said not funny one but the whole point of the story is you being the smart one so you ruined the story because i don't know where i was going with that so she was no No, it's a (laughs) it's interesting that when you're younger your fear of failing is so much greater even though what happens if you fail has oftentimes less of an impact or, or, or it's less of a big deal as when you're failing later in life even though later in life you have less of a fear of failing. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. I, you know, if you, cause you're right. Little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. So people should welcome some failure 
when they're young, because, you know, I had my uh, first broken heart. I think I was 40, like a real broken heart, because like prior to that, I didn't really probably love enough, but it was um, harder than the things that happened when I was younger, where I didn't even experience the most love. So, yeah, I mean, because like Joan said, practice, practice makes perfect. Right. Well, maybe I should tell my kids their failures more often so that they, (laughs) (laughs) is that that not the way to go? Is that (laughs) you know but you can't ride a bike or you can't not to me but you can't do whatever if people are like me where it's like well watch i'll just do it sometimes that's not a bad thing if you challenge just i I felt feel bad for people that badly for people that you know oh i can't do this well sure you can have you ever tried you it's okay to fail because you mentioned social media might be affecting people's mental health or illness yeah just realize when people are putting up the best it's like um the history books were written by the person who won. They, we didn't hear from the one who didn't win. That's why I don't even think history is accurate. Just see, hello, darkness, my old friend. I'm just going dark again. You should ask a positive question. I was going to get into comedy now because that's one of my favorite things. After I'm depressed, a good good comedy show is the way to go. No, did you both are hilarious. You're really funny. You're entertaining. Was this? Did you, did you do anything? to strengthen the comedy in your duo or? Yeah, Jane told me um, I didn't have to think before I spoke anymore. Most people in my life say, can you count to 10? No. You know, can can you imagine saying that to somebody who has Tourette's? Hey, can you count to 10 before you speak? No. So anyway, I was born with a um, tumor, brain tumor, and I used to have seizures. Well, they called them convulsions. (laughs) There's a slight difference. I don't recall the difference. Is this Anyway, right, right, it, it right. hits something. A lot of names I get incorrect, and I believe that that's why the universe is sending me today. No one gets my name right anymore. Well, that, maybe that is your name, Joanne. Maybe your name is Joanne, and you just don't remember. It was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, affirmations, positive affirmations, for some reason... In my head, I don't know if everyone else, it's got such a negative stig- stigma to it. Like it's something to do with my child that hearing people make fun of it all the time. It was something people just, I can't believe they're reading that self-help book. I can't believe they have notes saying they love themselves. Like it's, um, it's still stuck in me though. Like I've never done the positive affirmation. So affirmations are just a style of getting something faster. Yeah. And, and when I say fast, please, we are a pill nation, everyone, including myself, took a pill to get more immediate results and, you know, four and to, then do and the even, okay, four to six weeks for an antidepressant to work. Yes, I took them. And that was okay with me as well, because the other thing, having the picture of what I wanted in life, it was a lot harder. So with affirmations, I don't have two drinks at a wedding and then go smoke a cigarette with right. somebody. Yeah. Um, or if I try, because believe me, I did try during those three years, it starts. It started to taste bad when it's not supposed to, when you're the smoker. And so um, that's the part where the affirmations come in and help a little bit extra when with medication, with meditation, with whatever it is that you're doing. So, where, so where's a good place to start with affirmations? Is there? Uh... Oh, I'll tell you. I, I, I'm pretty, I'm sometimes I'm vain 
And uh, we're getting older now. And I saw these things hanging off of here, the cheeks and the jowls or whatever that is. So I started to say with affirmations, I have smooth and flawless skin. And it was pretty funny. I said it a lot. And within maybe a month, all it does, it just tricks your brain. It's, it's actually science. I said it enough that basically I was more aware of anti-aging cream. So people say, yeah, but how did you get the smooth, flawless skin? I put some fucking anti-aging cream for reducing shit on my face right. and it actually worked. Right. So, you know, you just start with something that's less fearful if it doesn't work. You know, you might want a relationship with, um, I was going to say Zsa Zsa Gabor. Wow, am I outdating myself? Some young, hot thing you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia Loren, she's younger. Um, yeah, you, you just want, start. Wait, you want to date these women? No, no. <laughs> a lot's coming out. Yeah, you <laughs> never know. That's what it sounded. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, if, if it was a woman that I was going to say is is attractive that I wanted to date when I was younger was Kate Moss. Kate Moss is gorgeous. That was about it. I disagree. <laughs> yeah, she's really the brilliant. But Gwyneth Paltrow's pretty, but I don't know. The, the point Joan is making is that if you want to start with affirmations, yeah, start, I don't know what my point is. She says start with something that's not that important to you, not that threatening to that's, that's not your most difficult issue. You know, if I were to start with, um, I think I'm beautiful, that would never have worked. And, you know, I wanted to quit smoking. I had tried a few times and was successful for a week, a day, a this, that. Um, but again, that so three years, that was a hard one. But something like road rage, which I had, but it wasn't that important to me. And when I was getting older, I started becoming less of an asshole on the road. I was a little more of a safe driver, just naturally, so that my affirmations around road rage worked a lot faster than the whatever oh, sorry. was really like i'm not depressed anymore well, what would you the know, road rage affirmation be you're not supposed to say i don't have road rage the universe heard road rage right that's like i'm i need to lose weight i want to lose weight i'm trying to lose weight you're never going to lose weight but when you say i am at my perfect weight and let's be realistic ladies i'm always going to be way more than joan i am always i was born a half a pound heavier I have been 20 pounds heavier. So, so I am or I have. I am. Right. Well, I've taken a lot of your time, and I definitely want to touch upon your book. So the name of the book is Under the Hood, How We Hotwired Our Brain, Calmed the Fuck Down, and Let That Shit Go. <laughs> that book really helped a lot. We, we wrote about um, all the trauma we had, not all. We did a cliff note version of our traumas, which was good to bring out. And then we did these um, in a bit of a comedic way, very comedic way. People actually said they fell off their chairs laughing and they felt bad at, at, Joan, at Joan's expense. Not no. mine wasn't as funny. No, people <laughs> felt bad for you too. And uh, what we did was we then gave these tips of easy. I didn't want to do the work. You know, mental health is a lot of work. You know, you got to look inside, do child work, your inner child. Oh my God, I didn't want to do any of that. So when we heard about these other ways of doing things that were simple and easy and actually laughable, we just chose that way and it jump-started. We have no more rotary. It's interesting. People come to visit us, they must be negative because all of a sudden they're in the back seat, there's road fucking rage. We didn't have anyone beeping the car at us, beeping the horn. Beeping the car. <laughs> Beeping the horn. <laughs> yeah. 
rid of road rage. How, Jane? Um, because I was horrible. But anyway, so oh. like if someone cut me off, instead of saying, giving them all those choice words and a particular finger, right? Or me then speeding and, and I, because I am from the Northeast, I will cut you off, right? So instead of doing that, I made up stories where, oh, you know, he or she, they're trying to get to the hospital because their their aunt is dying. Or, you know, they, if they're late for work one more time, they're going to get fired. So those were the kinds of things that helped me, you know, pull and over. And some is probably true. There might be a cat or a dog that got hit by a car and yeah. that person wants to get to the vet. So why we take it all so personally if somebody cut us off? Who cares? You were probably driving slowly or something. Yeah, hogging that left lane, right? Yeah, just because it's not a couple of miles later. Somebody. We all daze out and do bad things driving, so it's hard to it's hard to hold it against somebody when they might just be having one of those moments. <laughs> so I know I do it in my neighborhood. I'm like, they didn't fully stop at the stop sign, and I very well know yesterday morning I was so distracted that I probably did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> So it's under the hood, how we hotwired our brain. Calm the fuck down and let that shit go. So please check it out. You can also find the Therapy Twins at therapytwins.com. The audiobook is supposedly, um, the ebook is free. And the written portion, if you want the paperback, has 24 extra cards in it. Not cards, pages. pages and it's all these words of wisdom because believe me, we have failed hundreds and hundreds of times we're just trying to help you out just like everyone wants to watch ted bundy he failed a lot and then he got better at it and then wanted to whatever but right. people are interested in that they're interested in his failures so yeah it's an excellent comedic book okay are you if we if we get the audio book is it you two reading it Unfortunately, no. We didn't okay. like our voices. Yeah, we didn't like our voices. Uh, Joan wanted someone that sounded like uh, ben, Hugh Grant. I think it's a, like a Hugh Grant or a Benedict Cumberbatch. And we didn't get him. And what we got was a, a guy a, a, that does British like Shakespeare stage yeah. acting. And yeah. so he is mm -hmm. so Shakespeare-y. We <laughs> promise to do our own audio. And we promise you'll laugh if you, if you get the content read by this Shakespearean actor. Mm. It's wonderful. Okay. Oh, okay. Perfect. That's it. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, therapytwins.com. And again, everyone out there, this is a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free mentorship help, anything from resume writing, mental health, all around the world, every language. There's somebody to help you out there. So dweebsglobal.org. And we'll see you all next week.